Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 57 of The Revenge of Kang, and today begins what the author clearly thought was the centerpiece of this adventure, chapter 33, Here Comes the Bride. You'll recall that our heroes fought their way through a truly bullshit fortress at the end of time in pursuit of Kang. They found that Kang had already left, obviously recently since his time launch pad was still warm or whatever, but they did find coordinates in his notes indicating that he was headed to a point in the late 1960s when the destinies of all the various 20th century heroes he's been trying to kill intersected. Obviously, we've got to stop Kang from taking out all these heroes we've just saved in one fell swoop, so it's into the time machine to travel to a rare moment in the late 1960s when all of Earth's greatest heroes join together in one place, and Kang is probably going to try to blow them up. The time machine materializes, and we get the following box text, quote, Your time machine has materialized across the street from a tall skyscraper a skyscraper you recognize as the famous Baxter Building. The chronometer on your control console indicates that you have traveled to the late 1960s. There is a huge, happy crowd assembled outside the Baxter Building, the Fast Eddie's catering truck you notice parked outside, and the priest you glimpse standing in front of the building's entrance are your only clues as to what is happening. Yes, the sight of Fast Eddie's food truck parked outside what is clearly a multi-million dollar wedding can only indicate one thing. Reed Richards has planned a wedding. So our time ship materializes in an alleyway, It says there are banners all over the place that say, quote, congratulations, Reed and Sue on the eve of your wedding. And at this point, comic book fans are going to recognize what we're experiencing are the events of Fantastic Four Annual 3, which is the issue when Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, and Sue Storm, the Invisible Girl, finally got married. This was a huge historic Marvel Comics event, a very silly story, and the authors knew it was silly. They took the opportunity to bring in all of the beloved villains and heroes of the Marvel Universe up to that point into one big fucked up wedding as a huge celebration for the characters and the fans for this momentous occasion in the Marvel Universe. Our heroes, of course, know all about this too. Quote, Like just about every other resident of the Marvel Universe, the heroes are all aware that Reed and Sue's wedding was attended by almost all of New York's costume heroes and attacked by a huge army of supervillains who are brainwashed by the insidious Doctor Doom. Quote, Just before the PCs reach the building, a huge portion of Dr. Doom's army arrives and begins attacking the crowds of innocent bystanders gathered outside the Baxter building in order to attract the attention of the heroes inside. The villainous army consists of the Super Scroll, the Mad Thinker, the Executioner, the Unicorn, the Melter, the Mandarin, the Black Knight, Electro, the Beetle, Diablo, Atuma, and ten of Atuma's legions. Atuma is Namor's archenemy in this period. He's like boring Namor. He's not king of Atlantis. He's just like kind of a powerful guy in Atlantis. He has a less interesting design. He's blue. He also takes over Atlantis sometimes and has Atlantean soldiers. And he's arrogant, but in a dull way. I'm not a fan of Atuma. But anyway, he's here with 10 Atlantean mooks, along with so many supervillains. This is why we had such a packed NPC section at the front of the book. It's why we had all those days full of spoilers is because we've got all these characters laid out in such painstaking detail with full stat blocks at the beginning of the book just to appear in this one scene. Like, Electro has nothing to do with this adventure except appearing here to be in one fight and then vanish. So at this point, the judge is supposed to get out the city map 
from the Marvel Super Heroes Advanced set, which was like the core set for this game system, it included big fold-out maps. And one of them was a very cool um, city block map so that you can do big sprawling adventures and fights on tops of buildings, out in the streets of New York. It's a very cool map. I had this map when I was a kid. It's super cool. Here it's being put to, I think it's intended use in having a big, big fight, but the map alone cannot carry this encounter. Uh, it needed careful design as well, and it did not get it, as we will see. Quote, Atuma and his legions enter from one end of the map, while all the other villains enter from the opposite edge. The heroes begin three areas away from the Baxter building. On the third round of the struggle, the following heroes emerge from the Baxter building and join in against the villains. Spider-Man, Mr. Fantastic, The Thing, The Human Torch, The Beast, Cyclops, Iceman, Angel, Daredevil, and Iron Man. Next comes perhaps the most dubious sentence of this entire book. Quote, Have fun with the ensuing free-for-all. To make life easier for yourself, you should divide up all of the NPC heroes who are present among the players and control only the villains yourself. So, for the first three rounds of this battle, we have our four heroes up against 11 supervillains and 10 mooks on opposite sides of the map. So we have to split up. That's for the first two rounds of the combat. Then on the third round, the players are expected to run not only their own characters, but to also divvy up 10 other superheroes. So at this point, assuming we haven't taken out any mooks yet, every round we've got to resolve actions for 35 characters. Quote, since all of the villains are being mind-controlled by Doctor Doom, who of course is hoping to wipe out the Fantastic Four, they will fight until they have been knocked unconscious. Doom himself is hidden a short distance away from the Baxter building, off the map, and there is no way the heroes can reach him during the battle. Because the supervillains are all unwitting pawns in Doom's attack, none of them will spend any karma during the attack. Thank God, because if we're tracking karma for 35 characters, maybe we should all pool our karma to buy a fucking meteorite to slam into the earth so we can all die and not have to finish this fucking combat. Quote, Remember, many of the NPC heroes might recognize one or more of the PCs from their activities earlier in the adventure. Spider-Man, for instance, might tell one of the heroes that, quote, You remind me of a guy I met when I was still in high school. A real jerk. He stole my date etc. So this is fun. I appreciate the idea of these little encounters with the heroes whose lives we've touched over the course of the rest of the adventure path. It could be funny. It could be cool. Are we going to have the patience as people at the table to play out these little encounters and have fun with them in the midst of a combat where 35 goddamn characters have to make die rolls every single turn? Now, fortunately, we only have to do that for four rounds because, quote, on the seventh round of the struggle, the Watcher suddenly appears and teleports Reed Richards away. All right. Thank you, Watcher. We're down to 34. Quote, Richard suddenly returns to the scene two rounds later with an incredible technological device, which he uses to teleport all of the villains out of the area. Now, if this thing where Reed Richards gets rid of all the supervillains with a mysterious gadget that he was just given for no reason by the Watcher, if that seems like a deus ex machina, it is, it's from the original story. And if you know the original story, then you know that's that's the only way this can end, right? I mean, it would be a drastic change to Marvel history to have this whole thing go down differently. And that, that leaves me wondering who this scene is for, because if you know Fantastic Four Annual 3, you know this story, and the idea is that you're going to be nostalgic or, or kind of enjoying the theme park aspect here, that you get to be in this iconic moment, then you know that this is how it ends. So what the author and the judge are asking you to do here is to engage in nine or ten rounds of extremely slow combat with dozens of characters for a foregone conclusion that doesn't affect anything. And that would be one thing if you were in, like, the midst of a huge superhero army against, like, actually Doctor Doom actually floating there firing energy blasts or whatever. But instead, you are going to be engaged in combat with, like, the Beetle, Atuma, the Black Knight. But not the heroic Black Knight that people give half a shit about. 
the other earlier Black Knight that nobody gives even a fractional shit about. I'm a Fantastic Four fan, and even I don't really care about fighting Diablo. So this is a lot of table time being spent on a big slow fight that goes nowhere against, in many cases, less than iconic supervillains. And I just feel like anybody who does try to sort of engage this as this big 60s throwback free-for-all is going to get shouted down by the group because at some point we do need this combat to end. We can't be stopping to have all kinds of little, you know, quips and exchanges when we're trying to make the literally hundreds of die rolls that this combat is going to require. Anyway, once Reed Richards has pissed off the player characters by using his deus ex machina gadget to just send away and wipe the memories of all these supervillains we've been fighting for what must be real-world hours, he says, quote, It's okay, everybody. This device is a sort of wedding present from Uatu the Watcher. I've just used it to displace all of the villains in time to the points they occupied just before they attacked. Dr. Doom was behind this. He seized mental control over all of the villains and forced them to attack, hoping to wipe us out. The device took care of him as well. Well, now we can get on with the ceremony. There's just one more thing. Uatu also gave me a cryptic warning. Beware the threat from beyond time itself, he said, so everyone be on your toes. This is very stilted dialogue, more stilted than the original, which was written by Stan Lee in the 1960s. But it gets us where we need to go, which is that everybody, even people who don't understand Fantastic Four Annual 3, and who therefore probably have no fucking clue why we've been sitting here for hours wasting our lives, rolling dice to see how long it takes us to punch out the fucking melter. Uh, Even those players now understand what has happened, if not why it has happened, and they have received Uatu's cryptic warning. Beware the threat from beyond time itself. Thank you for your useless warning, Uatu. Please fuck off back to the moon. And this tips slightly onto the next page, but the resolution here basically is, Fantastic Four thanks us for helping to defend against the supervillains and invites us to attend the wedding. The dumbest thing on this page is this big fight, and it's dumb on so many levels. Number one, these are the wrong supervillains for the job. This villain's list stooped low enough to include Unicorn. That's the bar we're looking at. If a supervillain is more interesting than Unicorn, then probably they should have been included here and Unicorn should have been cut. I did review Fantastic Four Annual 3. Here are some villains who are in that story but are not included in this book. Red Ghost and his super apes. Red Ghost, an intangible communist who formed his own evil communist Fantastic Four by flying into space with an unshielded ship. And three apes who all got different superpowers. He's cool. He should be here. Awesome android. A big gray android with a rectangular head who can absorb powers and abilities from superheroes. That's pretty cool. Enchantress would have been a chance for a rare appearance by a female character in this adventure series where I think Jenny Carson may be the first female NPC we have encountered in three fucking modules. Uh, Batrock the Leaper, a really fun minor villain. Would have been great to have him show up here. And the great thing is, he's so inconsequential. You can do whatever the fuck you want to Batrock the Leaper. The timeline will not change. He would have been a great choice. And hey, guess what? Kang was here. Did you know that? Kang attended these events. He fought the heroes. Would have been nice to at least get a mention of what Kang was up to since we're here looking for Kang. Also, on the hero side, it's worth noting that Quicksilver was here in this fight. Not portrayed in the module, but in the comic, Quicksilver was here. And he is, of course, Scarlet Witch's brother. Also, you know how one of the default player characters for this adventure is Hawkeye? 1960s Hawkeye is here in the mix. We could have had Hawkeye meet Hawkeye. We could have had Quicksilver run into his decades-older sibling, Scarlet Witch. So the characters, I think, were ill-chosen. You could have done better selection of heroes and villains to use here to make this more interesting. But on a deeper level, the problem is actually running this giant fight was just not the way to go. I can see using this event. It's a very convenient event to have all these heroes and villains in one place and get to do a little 
send off to 1960s Marvel where we get everybody kind of in one place. But you want that to be in the background where we can selectively interact. You know, we can have that little conversation with Spider-Man. We can have Reed Richards recognize us as the people who repeatedly fail to sneak around the Aerodyne facility or whatever. Nothing is gained by like, oh, hey, Spider-Man. Oh, hey, you look like a guy I knew in high school. And then we stand there side by side, wordlessly punching bad guys for like 90 full minutes of table time. I would rather have seen a, a Trials and Tribulations style approach to this where we are inserted into an older story, but we have our own agenda. And so we're sort of weaving around the events of Fantastic Four Annual 3 so that number one, we don't have to run literal dozens of characters in combat every round. And number two, there is some question as to the outcome as opposed to us spending all that time reenacting events that really can only end one way. It, it Just running this combat is unsustainable. It's going to completely drain any possible fun from this part of the adventure. Just the sheer volume of dice rolls and like familiarizing yourself with, I mean, I don't know, I guess each player is expected to run like four characters, including their own during this. And remember that this game's initiative is set up so that like one side goes, then the other side goes, like either bad guys, then good guys or vice versa. So when it's the bad guy's turn, the players are all sitting on their hands waiting for the GM to resolve actions for, in some cases, 20 plus characters, just the worst idea for a big set piece combat. And we paid for this in page count. We spent so many pages with the full stat blocks for all of these characters that nobody cares about. And all we really get out of this is the nostalgia factor, the fun factor of revisiting a classic story, and not to be, I was going to say not to be a killjoy, but that is the premise of the show. To be a killjoy, uh, this isn't how things went down in Fantastic Four Annual 3. This is the broad outline of events, but like, Atuma never got this close to the Baxter building. All these heroes weren't in one place having a fight like this. In the comic book, there were stakes, right? There were different villains trying to achieve different things, and different heroes in different places who came in at different times to fight them. It wasn't this one big clusterfuck. This does not have like the ambushes, the reversals, the discoveries of the comic. So basically it's three phases. One where it's just the heroes versus the villains. A second phase where all the other superheroes show up. And then a third phase where Reed Richards goes away for a minute and then comes back and just ends everything. Truly on every level. I I'm sympathetic to the effort here. I think that it was a good basic idea to use this story as a finale because it does get everybody together in one place. But actually running this would be a huge pain in the ass. Above all, a visit to 1960s Marvel stories should be fun. This really does not capture the joy of Fantastic Four Annual 3. Speaking of which, join me tomorrow when we go to the wedding itself and are treated to one final loving visual portrayal of this iconic Marvel moment featuring mostly characters who weren't there on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.